Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Ephesians chapter 5. Anybody need a Bible? Going once. No, I'm just kidding. But Ephesians chapter 5, and once you're there, stand with me. We're going to read uh, this incredible portion of Scripture this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And what a, what a word it is for us. One verse in this chapter that implies incredible things for us. Things that are impossible for us to do apart from your spirit, Lord. And so we ask you this morning, as we approach this text, Lord, that we come with an understanding that it is impossible for us to fulfill these things in the flesh. That we are, need to be desperate for your Holy Spirit this morning. If we ever want to begin to fulfill what it is that you're calling us to, you're commanding us to, to be an imitator of God. We ask you now, Lord, to humble our hearts. Lord, knock us off our high horse if necessary. Blind us with the light this morning if that is what you need to do, Lord. We pray for some here this morning, they need to be encouraged, Lord. They beat themselves down, and you want to build them up. So we ask you, Lord, to meet each one of us right where we are. We praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning in our lives. We also want to make mention, Lord, thank you so much for protecting our sister Marie yesterday in, in that car wreck. We praise you, Lord. We know your hand was upon her, and we just thank you, Lord, that she is here this morning, and she is, you know, by appearance, unblemished, untouched, unscratched. And we, we know that was your hand, and we thank you for it, Lord. We ask you to um, just draw our hearts close to you now, Lord, and speak directly to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you've been with us here in, in the last several weeks, we've been going through a series called Rags and Riches. Uh, it is uh, the verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Ephesians. Now, I divided these particular six chapters up into two sections, chapters one through three. What, what is the, the what, what, what did I say I divided chapters one through three up into? What is it speaking about? Anybody? What's that? The objective part of it. It's speaking doctrinally, but I, I summarize it in one word. Speaking, it starts with a W. Anybody paying attention? The what? Not the works, the worth of the believer, right? We're speaking verses, chapters 1 through 3 about the worth of the believer. Now, as we come to chapter 4 through chapter 6, we are talking about the what of the believer. Who said walk? Who said walk? Brian Thacker? 
dude, you got a shirt, man. Way to go. <laughs> nice job. That's what happens when you pay attention in class, folks. I, I, I had a gift card here for somebody, but you didn't get it, so... Maybe that will come out in the service somewhere. He has now got himself, he's a proud owner of an overflowing cup shirt. Way to go. So we've been talking about the worth of the believer in chapters 1 through 3, and now we're talking about the walk of the believer in chapters 4 through 6. Paul doesn't want us just to simply hear doctrine. He wants us to apply it to our lives, to walk out what it is that he's been teaching us, that we have been given everything that we need. We have the riches of Christ upon our lives today. We we're not waiting for that. That is here and, and that is upon our lives now. We can walk in those riches. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we can walk in that today. We can walk in that authority. We can walk in that, in the inheritance that He's given us. We're not waiting for that. Of course, there is something to come, yes. But as it relates to you and I today, there was a legal process that happened when you kneeled your knee before the cross and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that you were adopted into the kingdom of God. You were adopted into His family. Now you are a son and a daughter of the Most High. God cares about His kids. In fact, so much that he, he, you know, Jesus even said in, in the Gospel of Matthew that if you were to come against one of his children, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck, a giant stone, and toss yourself off in the middle of the sea because that's how much he cares about his kids. He cares about his kids. We, as his children then, the Bible continues to tell us, we then become ambassadors of Christ. We are God's kids. God's kids are carrying a heritage. There is uh, you know, his name, we are, we are carriers of the name of God in the world. So therefore, we have to be careful about how we walk. We want to make sure that our lives match that of which our Father would be honored with. You won't do it perfectly, just like your physical children won't do it perfectly. But here's what I would say to you, is that you, you, we need to put effort into our walk. There needs to be a diligence with it. We need to seek it out, and we need to avoid certain things so that we don't defame our Father in heaven. And that's really what Paul is trying to talk to us about as we come to, to this chapter in particular. He wants us to, to be very, very careful about how we walk because we are carriers of the name of God in the world. We come to chapter 5, and Paul ups the ante of the walk in which we are called to walk. He, he already told us in chapter 4 that we are called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have been called. That's a, that's a high calling. It's a serious calling. He told us then, he goes on in verse 17 of chapter 4, don't walk like the Gentiles. Hey, guess what? If you were part of a home fellowship last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about what, it is, what does it mean to not walk like the Gentiles walk? who are futile in mind, who are dark in their understanding, who are alienated from God, who are insensitive to impurity. We're called not to walk like that. And if you're not part of a home fellowship, come this week because we'll be talking about what we are to walk like. We're called to walk like Christ walks. And we'll be discussing verses 20 through 32 this week in home fellowships. So we come to chapter 5. Paul ups the ante 
on our walk. What is he calling us to do in chapter 5? We read it this morning already. We are called to be imitators of God. Your walk ought to be such that you are imitating God. That's the title of my message this morning, to imitate God. Now, there is a specific kind of walk that's associated with this. I've divided it up into three sections. I have an outline for you that you can copy in your notes now if you like or as we go on. But there are three specific things, three walks that we must walk if we want to imitate God. Verse 2 tells us we must walk in love. Verses 3 through 6 tell us we must walk in purity. Verses 7 through 14 tell us we ought to walk in light. Why? Because that's who our daddy is. That's who our Father is. That's who our God is. And if we want to imitate Him, we need to walk in these ways. And I promise you that if you'll just focus on these three things, you'll look a whole lot like your daddy. You will look a whole lot like him. And in fact, I really believe that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things, Wants to, tell, wants to talk to us this morning about these three specific, specific things. There may be more, but there are three that are pointed out here in the Scriptures as it relates to imitating God. Draw your attention to verse 1 where we consider the exhortation to you and I to imitate God. Look there at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, opportunity to win that gift card right here. What is the first question that you need to ask yourself when you come to this verse? What is the first question you should automatically ask yourself when it comes to verse 1 of chapter 5? Shout it out. What? Okay. The very first word. Who said that? Why do we have to ask ourselves about that word, therefore? All right, you guys, man, Jacob, come on up, brother. You got a gift card, man. Way to go. Hey, there you go. We don't normally do this, man, but, you know, hey, here's the thing. We got to keep it fun sometimes. We are students of the Word of God, and that in and of itself is reward enough, amen? But sometimes we have to, be, we have to bless our body. But, yeah, we have to ask ourselves, when we ever, whenever we come across a therefore, what is therefore? What is, why is he saying therefore? He is now transitioning from what he just said to what he's about to say, and they are connected. What did he just say? Check out verse 32. He said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. Well, what's he saying? Why did he put the therefore there? What he is saying is that our Father in heaven is very kind. Our Father in heaven is very tender-hearted. He is extremely patient and loving towards you. Our Father in heaven is so forgiving that he would forgive you of any and all sins that you would partake of. That's who he is. Therefore, you be an imitator of Him. It's a call. It's a command that we 
as his children, as his beloved children, are now called to be imitators of him. Our God will always lead us by example. God will never call you to be something that he himself is not. He will never do that to you. Parents, you know, the best way to lead is what? By authority, right? <laughs> that works. Not. You lead example. We're called to lead by example. Listen, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, you may know who he is. He was a, a medical doctor, a missionary, a, a musician. He was asked one time, what is the best way to raise children? He replied, there are three ways. Number one, by example. Number two, by example. Number three, by example. It's true. If you want to lead somebody well, you have to walk the walk that you're trying to lead them upon. You can't ask them to do something that you yourselves are not. What, what really comes down to is you have to practice what you preach. And if you don't, then you're a hypocrite. God is not a hypocrite. God practices what he preaches. And he wants us to do the same. He wants us, if, as imitators of who he is, to not just be mighty in word, but to be mighty in deed as well, to be both. Jesus was mighty in word and deed. You and I, it's not simply, listen, some of us have the, the concept, and this is why we don't share the gospel, is because we're afraid people will look at our lives. We're afraid that people will look at what we're saying and it doesn't match what we, how we walk, and so we just don't say anything at all. Well, please continue that if that's you. Don't share the gospel if you're not living the gospel. And, and don't get me wrong. Listen, the gospel is all about forgiveness, folks. It is all about imperfect people that have been forgiven by a, a perfect God who has made a way for you and I. And so what I am not saying is that you have to be perfect to do it. What I am saying is that if you're living however you want, don't share the gospel, please. Please don't. Because you'll make a mockery of Christianity, and that's exactly what we have in our world today. Listen, if you're sincere in your walk, people will see it. You don't even have to share the gospel with words. You can just Live it out and people will see it in your life. I can't remember who said it. Augustine or somebody said, you know, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Live it out. Practice what you preach. Have a life that, that suggests to everybody around you that there is something different about you. Like you're living in such a way that, that the world looks at you and goes, there's something about that guy, something about that gal. That just, I don't know, there's something special about them. You know what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus living through you. Let Jesus live through you. And as you're doing that, God will open up doors for you to speak into people's lives, to tell them about this forgiving God who wants to be in relationship with them. But you, your walk has to match your words. Our Father in heaven, he's not asking us to imitate something, some, some, you know, perfect picture of what he wants us to be, but he himself is not walking. No, he's walking it, and that's why he's calling us to be imitators of it. What does imitate mean? It means to mimic, 
means to take on characteristics of that person. And again, I'll use parents as a great example. Children do this naturally. You ever notice that? You notice how your kids just, they, they, they walk like you, they talk like you, they hold their fork like you. You know, uh, a funny, funny thing, when I was, my kids were little, um, I would always be on my phone, and I, I just, I walk around when I'm on the phone, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now I watch my kids, they do the same thing. They walk around while they're on the phone, they don't sit down, you know. It, it's, they're mimicking me. They, they, see, we have an innate characteristic within us to do that. We are mimickers. So the danger of that is, you know, who we're mimicking. The danger of that is who we're mimicking. We're born with a father, you know that. The father, the devil, right? And if we're not careful, we will, we, we will mimic him. We will look just like him. But God wants us to look like him. That's why he sent Jesus. So that he could change our DNA, so he could implant within our code the ability to mimic our father in heaven. So he wants us to mimic him. He wants us to take on his characteristics. And we can't do that on our own. We have to have a power from on high to look like our Father on high. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is not about applying principles to your life so that you can, you know, step one, two, three, four. We've got a checklist. Here's what we're going to do in order to imitate God. If you do that, it will be false fruit. Here's the reality is when when you're talking about imitating God, you need the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You have him. If you're a believer, if you're a believer here this morning, you have the power to, to imitate our Father in heaven. You have the ability to do it. What's hindering you? You. You are. You're hindering yourself. So we're going we're to talk about some, some things that we need to do in order to imitate God. It's active. You know, these are things that you have to do, that God has given you the ability to do, but you have to, again, we're on the practical side of the chapter here. We are stepping into this doctrinal side of what Paul has already been talking about. We have to walk. That is a verb, to walk. It literally means to put effort into. You want to move. You, 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 you have to make effort to do that. If you want to imitate God, everything in you is there. The power is there. The, the, the characteristics have been modeled before you. All you have to do then is start taking steps. And there's three specific ways that we're called to walk that Paul lays out for us here. And it is, first and foremost, to walk in love. Now, I should back up one second and say to you that, by the way, it's impossible for you to do this unless you're a child of God. You have to be a child of God. Well, isn't everybody a child of God? No, they aren't. No, again, we've talked about this over and over again, that you know, we become children of God by way of adoption through the blood of Jesus Christ. That judicial uh, moment when, when you stood before the Lord and you said, I receive Christ as my Savior, and he pays the penalty for your sin. Now you are adopted into the kingdom of God. And so you have to be a child of God to do this. That's who he's talking to. He's, this isn't just principle. He's talking about the, something that this, this adoption that's been happening. You are now a child of God. And he says, you must now... Walk in love if you want to imitate the Father. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, 
have you ever not known God to walk in love? Have you ever not known Him to walk in love? I mean, even as an unbeliever, can you look back on your life and see how loving the Father has been to you? How incredibly gracious He has been to you? How patient He's been with you? That's love in action, folks. Our God walks consistently in love, and if we want to imitate Him, we must do that too. Now, we know what the word love means here. Again, it's the word agape. It's the word agape. It's the kind of love that is exercised based on oneself and not uh, based on anyone else. In other words, it is unconditional love. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who I am. Right? So God loves us right where we are, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Okay? So he then tells us, imitate me. What does that mean? Hold on a second. That, oh, that's pretty deep. You mean I got to love people for, for who the God in me is and not because of how they treat me? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the way that you're supposed to live. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Because there are those people in your life, I promise you, that you want to choke out rather than love, right? You just would rather give them an, an, a, a little hard, harder than a hug kind of squeeze. But, you know, we are called to love. We're called to walk in love, though. Why? Because that's how our daddy is. Whenever did you deserve what he's done for you? Never. You have never deserved it. And yet he has loved you fiercely through it all so that you could love people fiercely through it all so that you could do the same thing. Listen, there are people in your life right now I know that are challenging you in this area. But you have the Holy Spirit in you and the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. You have this kind of love in you. The question is, will you let it out? Or will you be too offended by people around you to let this, to walk in this kind of love that the Father is calling you to walk in? Jesus demonstrated this kind of love for us in the fact that it says here that he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He gave himself up. This, this kind of love is not just uh, in the sense of just receiving those people that you like. No, this kind of love is a sacrificial kind of love that goes out and looks for people that they can sacrifice for that don't deserve it. So in other words, it's loving the least of these, right? It's literally going out into the world and loving the least. That's who he wants us to love. Christ did it. Jesus came for the least, didn't he? He was so sacrificial in his love for us that he gave up his life for us. The Apostle John, who is the apostle of love, said this in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Listen, Christ died so that he could live through you. So that means you have to die so that he can live through you. If you, you know, we are called, now th this is where it gets a little shaky, and this is where the church probably, uh, you know, we're not, he, he's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about believers. 
there's a difference in what Christ has done for us. But we're called to love people right where they are. But we ought to be extremely sacrificial for those who are in the fold. Rather than dividing with the body, we ought to be figuring out how we can come together and love each other even that much more because he told us that it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we belong to him, right? So it's our example of loving one another that makes the world confounded where they're just like, I don't get that. How can these people from different backgrounds and diversities come together and love each other in, in this sacrificial way because Christ did it for me? Because he sacrificed for me. A parent knows this kind of love, right? This is sacrificial kind of love. This is the kind of love that a, that a parent has for a kid. And you know how your kids are. Man, they don't deserve it, do they? They don't deserve it sometimes, all the time. I'm sorry, kids, I love you. But, but you love them anyway, don't you? And in fact, you love them so much that whatever pain that they have going on in their body, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's psychological pain, you would do whatever you had to do to remove that from their life and take it upon yourself because you love them. It's not based on how they're treating you. You would do whatever is necessary to do that if you could, would you not? I remember begging God sometimes when my kids were you know, sick as, as little kids, and I would beg God to put their affirmities on me. Lord, just let me take it from them. Listen, that is the example of Christ. That's what he did for you. He did take your place, and he's called you to take somebody else's place, to sacrifice for them in this thing called love. How loving are you towards each other today? How loving are you? Are you walking in love? That's, if you want to imitate God, you have to walk in love. If you want to mimic your daddy, you have to do this. It's something you need to do. You have the spirit in you. You have the, the ability to do it. You have to choose to do it. You have to make that effort to, to, to walk in this kind of love. Notice, it's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God, how can I, how can I uh, bless you today? How can I, you know, how can I please you? How can I be an offering? Just love people. Just love them. Just walk in this, and you'll be a fragrant offering. Now, the kind of offering that he's speaking about here, you can find all the details in Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 5. These are the offerings that please the Lord. And let me just say that when you are a, a fragrant offering to the Lord, dude, you smell like straight-up baby back ribs, like you smell like some serious barbecue. He's God loves barbecue. I, you know, he's just like, oh, man, make me up some lamb. You know, let's roast that sucker on that fire. He loves the, the smell. But when you love people the way that Christ loved people in a sacrificial manner, you are a, a, a sweet fragrance, a sweet aroma to God, and he is loving he loves to take it all in. He loves it. You sm Man, I cooked up a huge steak yesterday, and I was thinking about this. Man, Lord, what is heaven going to be like, you know? But we are a fragrant offering to him, a fragrant sacrifice. And he loves when you walk like that because you were being like him. He loves it. Not only that, but we are called to imitate him also. 
in purity. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all purity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. God is pure. He is pure, and he calls you to be pure. John wrote in 1 John 3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That word literally, that word pure literally means without moral defect or blemish. He is pure. And he makes you pure. You're pure. But if you want to remain pure, you have to walk in purity. You have to walk in purity. God is, as the song says, a good, good father. And he is perfect in all of his ways. He is perfect pure in everything that he does. David wrote that he's, he is pure in his words, Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on, furnace on the ground, purified seven times. His wisdom is pure, James three seventeen. but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial to and sincere. His commands are pure, Psalm 19, 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Listen, I could go on and on and on about what the Bible says about the purity of God. But here's what we need to know. If we want to walk like God, if we want to mimic God, we must walk in purity. We must walk in purity. Paul says, remove sexual immorality from your life. It's the word pornea in the Greek. You know what the word means, pornography. It literally means any kind of sexual act outside of the marriage covenant. And let me just say this. This is very important too. That does not mean that every sexual act within the marriage covenant is morally correct or pure. It is not. There are things in the marriage covenant that can be considered impure. What is the defining line for that? We'll see here in a moment, the defining line is lust. The defining line is lust. If you are engaged in sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant, you are sexually immoral. And let me define what marriage means because we have to do that these days. So biblical marriage is this. Between a man and a woman under the umbrella of God, that he is, he is the one that the, the vows are taken before. He is the center of the marriage. That's biblical marriage. And so if, you're, if you're, you're partaking of anything outside of that, that's considered sexual morality. And all six sexual immorality, all of those things are a direct result of lust. And God is calling us to be pure. He goes on here. He says, we also must not be impure. Again, the word means unclean, immoral, lustful. It's a lifestyle bent on fulfilling every indulgence, particularly of the sexual type. We are not to be covetous, literally to be greedy. And again, 
this is really speaking specifically about in sexual acts, not to be greedy. It is an inordinate desire for anything, wanting something so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything to get it. I wonder how many have thrown away marriages as a result of this. I want this so bad, I'm so lustful that I'm going to throw my marriage away for this whatever it is. He goes on to say, let there be no filthiness in any of you. The word means obscene, foul, polluted, distasteful, disgraceful. Nor are we to engage in foolish talk. What kind of talk is that? That is gutter talk. That is foolish talk. That is empty talk. That is thoughtless talk. That is what we would call locker room banter. That kind of talk. If you're a believer, you ought not be involved in any of that. Listen, if you walk up to a conversation and you see that kind of conversation happening, just turn around and walk away. You don't need to fill your mind with these kinds of things because those things will take root in your heart and they will manifest themselves. They will. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Solomon says about this foolish talk, he says, Ecclesiastes 5.3, For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Foolish talk. Empty words. Sixth and finally, Paul says that we ought not be engaged in crude joking. You know the type. It's the off-color joke. It's the sexual in innuendo. It is the obscenities. And as my buddy Martin always says, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's all, of, it's all kinds of things that are jokingly in a sexual manner you're joking about these things. That's what crude joking is, is like. Listen, we're carrying the name of Christ on our lives. We, we are carriers of the name of Christ. Let there be some honor in our lives that we would not partake in these kinds of things, that we would say no. This is dishonoring to my Father. We need to be pure as our Father is pure. And listen, we live in a culture that's going to challenge you on this big time. Our culture blushes at nothing. Blushes at nothing. And if you partake in what it is that the world is partaking of, then guess what? Your witness is diminished. Listen, you're a carrier you're an ambassador of Christ. Ask yourself the question, would Jesus be where I am? Would Jesus be listening to what I'm listening to? Would Jesus be saying what I'm saying? Would Jesus be doing what I'm doing? That's the gauge, guys. Ultimately, would Jesus be in, you know, on the computer where I am? Would he be watching on TV what I'm watching? Invite him into your life. Invite him into these areas of your life and let him keep you pure. And if you need help with that, and listen, statistically speaking, we need help with that. 70% of us, two-thirds of this room needs help with that. I would say get some accountability in your life. Get some accountability in your life, man. Because this is not about you. This is about him. And he wants to help you, but he won't, He's not just going to magically take it from you. We need help. And, you know, he'll instruct you how to do that. But I know the enemy loves to keep things in the dark. 
And they, oh, man, if they knew really what, what I was doing, what? They would what? Help you? They would help you? Is that what they would do? If, exactly, because he wants you to stay in the dark so that he can torment you, so that you can live in these, these secret places of your life and, you know, feel condemned your whole life. God wants to set you free. If you want to be set free, you have to walk in purity. And you have to be willing sometimes to get other people involved in that. And God will tell you who that is. Be careful. Listen to what he says here in verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this. Like this is an emphatic statement. You cannot get around this, right? That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What, what is he saying here? Some of you are automatically questioning whether you're saved. And you're saying, man, God's speaking to me right now. He knows what I've been doing. Am I saved? He's speaking to sons of disobedience. Who are, the, who are they? Paul defined it for us already in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Here's who they are. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So who, who were the sons of disobedience? Unbelievers, right? Sons of the devil. Are you a son of the devil? That's the question. I don't know. I might be struggling with some of this stuff. I'm not talking about people who are struggling with some of this stuff. He's talking about people who are practicing these things. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He said, listen to this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Are you unrighteous or are you righteous in Christ? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I love this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, our God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 says the same thing. Here's what Paul is saying, that there are unbelievers amongst believers who are, have a life that is characterized by these kinds of things. And it's not just sexual immorality. It's all kinds of things. There's a, a litany of things there, isn't there? Drunkenness, thievery, greed, revelries, swindling, you know, you, you slandering people. That's part of the list here too. There's all kinds of things here that he's talking about. He's not talking about a believer who's, who, who, who gets tripped up over things. He's talking about somebody who has no regard for God, no regard for his word, no regard for 
anything he has to say, but says, I'm going to heaven. They carry a Bible. They, they speak Christianese. They, they, they know what some of the word of God says, and they don't practice it at all. In fact, they, direct, they practice the direct opposite. There is no conviction in the heart. They're, they are hardened. They are seared. They have grieved the Holy Spirit. They are quenching him on a daily basis because he's not in them. He's not talking about people that are saved who are struggling in sin. He's talking about people that are unsaved, sons of disobedience. And what does he say will happen to these people? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's you, that should make your heart drop. Let me help you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Listen, it's a serious, serious thing to be estranged from God. It's a serious thing. It's a matter of eternity. And God does not want anyone to experience this. Not a single person. God is not willing that any would perish, the Bible says. Not a single person would perish. And yet, Jesus said, the road is paved with people that are going that way. Multitudes are, are flocking to the road of destruction. And there's only a few that find the other way that lead to life. What does that say about the church? What does it say about those in the church? There, I'm telling you, man, there are people in the church that are on that road and they think they're on the other road. There's never been a change in their life. They've never really bowed their knee to Christ. There's never really been a desire to really follow Him. And, and, and yet you have the premise under the guise of Christian that you are going to heaven and you're not. And God cares about that because He understands the weight of it. And it's not a joke. There will be no high-fiving in hell. There will be no rejoicing and partying. None of that. And I know you guys know that because you're here. But there are people listening to this, either the radio. There's people that are online. There are people that will listen to this later that think it's a joke. It's not a joke. God would grieve he would weep, as it were, over Jerusalem for the hardened hearts of people that will say, I'm happy going to hell, just leave me alone. I'm happy to go my own way. He wants you to come to him so that you don't have to experience that, man. And it's real clear. How do I know where I'm at? What does the fruit of your life say? What does your life look like? That's really what you have to ask yourself. How do I know I'm a believer? Was there a change in your life? 
I'm not talking about the parable of the sowers where you had, you know, some quick springing up or, you know, where, where you know, the, the cares of the world choked out the gospel. That, none of those were real conversions. There's only one real conversion in that, in that parable that Jesus gives, and that is the one that received the word in when the soil was good. Now, here's the deal, is that we can all struggle with some of that stuff, but we're not characterized by it. That is the difference. What is my life characterized by? What is my life characterized by? We are not sons of disobedience. Peter wrote it like this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What is he saying? He's saying that that. You're called to be holy because God is holy, so you need to imitate him. But the reality is, even as obedient children, you are going to struggle with some stuff. And that's why he said, you know, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Why? Because it's possible for you to be. You know, he's saying guard yourself against those things. And if you stumble along the way, pick yourself up and start going, become obedient to the Lord. Listen, God is kind tenderhearted, and he's incredibly forgiving. And he will forgive you. Pick yourself up and move forward. You're called to walk in purity because he is pure. Thirdly, and lastly, he says in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. There's a distinction in the people groups that he's talking about. Who's he talking about? Do not be partners with who? The sons of disobedience. Do not be partners with them for At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. I'm going to summarize this very quickly. There can be no clearer distinction between the new life and the old life than to compare that with light and darkness. There is no greater comparison. That is the perfect comparison for what he's talking about. Light cannot Darkness cannot exist if light is present. It cannot exist. So a redeemed person by the blood of Christ is brought into the light. Did you see what he said? You were darkness. That was the definition. Tim Romero equals darkness. But because of Jesus Christ, equation divided by Jesus Christ equals darkness. Righteous. I'm not going to go with the math illustrations because I'll mess myself up. (laughs) He calls us to walk in light. Walk in light, children. You're God's children. Walk in light. You can walk in light because you were darkness, but you're no longer darkness. You don't have to do that anymore. You can walk in light. There are those who are stuck in darkness. They can't do a thing about it. Not a single thing they can do. 
But you can do something about it because you're children and you can walk in light because you've been brought into the light. Paul says the fruit of the light is three things, good, right, and true. It is good, uh, literally, it means free from defects, beautiful and honorable. This is the highest expression in a willingness to sacrifice for others. Secondly, it's right. It could be translated righteous, literally the act of doing what God requires. To do right. This again describes somebody that's in Christ. Finally, the last fruit, truth or true. He says, the fruit of, fruit of walking in the light is truth. This has to do with honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, integrity. These are the fruits that will be in your life if you're walking in light. Man, how do I get there? How do I get there? The same way you got there before. There's no other way. There's no other way for you to get there. It's through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you're not experiencing these things, if you're, you're saying, man, I feel like I'm stuck in light, what, what's the thing to do? The exact same thing you did in the first place. Repent, lay yourself down, surrender to the Lord, and then just start walking in light. It's that simple. You have the power to do that now. He'll meet you where you are when you make that decision. You can do that. MacArthur commented on this. He said, we see, therefore, that goodness pertains primarily to our relationship with others, righteousness primarily to our relationship with God, and truth primarily to personal integrity. In those three things, we see the fruit of the light. Have you asked the Lord lately, is my life pleasing to you, Lord? Have you asked him? Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to be removed? Are there things in my life that are bothering you, Lord? Because sometimes they're not bothering us, right? But they are bothering him. And if we don't ask, we can deceive ourselves into saying, no, I'm good. But Lord, you're, you're so good to me, man. And there's this glaring thing in your life. So the, the good thing to do, the Bible says, is to examine your heart. To go before the Lord and say, Lord, is there something in my life that, that you're not pleased with? Because Paul said here that we want to, you know, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do you do that? You ask him. You get in his word and you let the, his word examine your heart. And then you say, Lord, is there anything else as David did? David had some things in his life, folks, that he needed to be freed of. And the Lord freed him of those things. But he kept asking, Lord, is there anything? And that's a good question to ask the Lord. Lord, is there anything in my life today that I need to, that, 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 I, that you need to expose so that I can get right with you, so that I can move forward, so I can be, you know, a pleasing witness for you? Now, theologically, we are already pleasing to God because he's pleased with his son, so he's pleased with you. But on the practical level, on the horizontal, you know, how's that working out in your life? You know, theologically, it's already done. But practically, he's doing it. You know what I'm saying? So that means we're part of the process here as we're here on earth before he comes that we're trying our best to be like Jesus. Trying our best to allow the light in every area of our life so that we can be set free.
if you didn't pick a, pick a copy up of uh, uh, My Heart Christ's Home, there, it's on the welcome table. There's a few, I think, printed out there you can take. Home. But it's a great illustration of looking at your heart in every area and saying, Lord, is there anything in there that needs to be removed? Listen, God is light, and he exposes darkness. And he wants us, as Paul said here, he, 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 I mean, this is, this is as close to an altar call as you'll see the Apostle Paul get. Awake! Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake! What is he saying? You have a choice in it. Christ isn't going to shine on you unless you're willing to awake. You have to be awakened. Now, awakening is literally coming to Christ, but I would say that there needs to be, there, there's also the, the concept of awakening those who have fallen asleep who are in Christ, and I believe that that is an exhortation to the church today. Awake! Awake. You can't be like the world, folks. You cannot be like that. You were once darkness. You are no longer darkness. Don't be sucked into the darkness. Amen? Imitate God. By walking in love, by walking in purity, by walking in light. And I want to challenge you this week that, that, that you would set some time apart and you would examine your heart and that you would ask the Lord, God, search me and know me. See if there would be any wicked way in me. And whatever he reveals, know that he's fully willing and ready to forgive. I mean, his son bled for you. He's fully willing... To, to set you free from whatever it is, but you, got, you have to, you, have to uh, you know, seek that out and ask him to do that in your life. So I want to challenge you today. Take that seriously. Take it serious because there are people on the highway to hell who think they're on the way to heaven, and they are not. And here's the thing is, God has you in the world for a reason, to be a light to those who are in darkness. Listen, do everything that you can to be Christ to the darkness, to be the light. You are the light of the world as he is the light of the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we are humbled by, Lord, your admonition to us today, Lord, to consider our walk and who we are imitating, Lord. You want us to imitate you. You command us to imitate you. And yet we want to just take a brief moment and say, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, will you come examine us and see whether or not we would, we would be walking in a way that would honor you, that would glorify you. And if we're not, would you help us today to surrender whatever it is that's hindering us, Lord? Maybe it's love. Maybe we are incredibly unloving. We are conditional lovers. We only love people when they love us. And we only love certain kinds of people. We know that that's not you, Lord. You're calling us to love everyone, and particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, fiercely. And every one of them, the least of them. We can't do that on our own. We know that. But you've given us your spirit already. And so for us this morning, if there's someone that's needing help to walk in love, would you empower us to do that today, Lord? Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to happen or uh, there's a hindrance in a relationship. Whatever the case is, Lord, let us choose love. 
Love covers a multitude of sin, Lord. And Father, we, we pray for those who are maybe stuck in impurity in some way, shape, or form, God. You're calling us to purity, to be holy, for you are holy. And of course, Lord, there's not a single person in here that could say, Ah, I'm holy. But Christ, you do make us holy. But on a practical level, Lord, we want to walk in holiness. And so, Lord, you know every secret in our lives. And you want to set us free from every impurity. And so we ask that you purify us today, Lord. Cleanse us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, today. And finally, Lord, there are some of us here that are walking in darkness in some way, shape, or form, Lord, and you want to shine your light in that area of our life. Maybe we've made a relationship, Lord, way more than it was supposed to be. It's called idolatry. It's a darkness that you care about. Lord, we ask you, to remove the darkness today, that you would flood us with light in every moment of our lives, Lord, every aspect of our lives, that we would be full of light tonight. We thank you, God, that you have done everything for us, and all we have to do is choose to walk in these things today. So empower us by your Spirit, Lord. Give us a courage and a boldness to surrender to you as we close in this last song, Father. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.